Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I'm going to join you guys by taking a seat. Uh, if you guys have a goal of in 2023 to have 100% church attendance, guess what? You're nailing it. You're doing a great job. And if you're watching online, that counts for like half, maybe. Uh, maybe not full, because these people both stayed up late, partied hard, and came to church on time. And even if they didn't come on time, we started a few minutes late because we had pancakes, and you guys had to make your own pancakes. Uh, I also was uh, encouraged by one of our elders to use the pancakes for communion today. Um, I told him no. So if you want, you can go give Steve Strike a hard time after this. Uh, he also, you know, that guy is full of ideas. Um, he, he has this idea of a punch card for people that show up to church regularly. You get double punches on holidays like today. And I'm not sure what you get with that. Uh, I asked him, what, what should you get with a, a punch card like that? And we don't really know. We know you shouldn't get into heaven. Like that probably shouldn't be the reward, but whatever. All right, guys, uh, I had family in town this week. So this morning I put together a message for you. Um, that's a joke. <laughs> I told my brother, one of my brothers, I said, oh, man, it's Saturday night. I should probably think of something to say. Um, I kid. We, uh, again, if you don't know anything about how we prepare sermon stuff around here, these are done way in advance. So this was, I knew I was doing the series in the summertime, actually. Uh, but uh, all week I got to put together the notes, and I thought, okay, it's going to be January 1st. We're all just kind of lying low. That's a wonderful thing. Let's make sure it's a shorter one, and I have bad news. It's not a shorter one. So you guys, buckle up. We're going to be going through a long text. Part of that's true. Uh, it is going to be a long text, but it's not going to be incredibly long. It's not going to be an hour or so. Uh, brand new year. We're setting new goals. Everybody's thinking of how to get those cheese curds that you just destroyed this past week out of your belly, out of the, you know, thigh area or wherever your body tends to collect such things. Uh, we, we set goals for stuff. We, you want to read more books. You want to uh, become, I don't know, more patient, whatever that means and however you define and set that goal. I don't know. But uh, whatever we do, we know that we, this is like the time, like the day of all days to start with that goal, go to church more often, whatever it may be. And Knowing that this is one of those kind of natural times of the year to have these conversations, what I thought would be great is to have a conversation about some of that stuff as a church, as Christians, as people who follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Because what we know is we all want to be achieving something. Like we want, to, we want our kids to like us when they grow up. Like not just tolerate us, but actually we want them to come over to our house or uh, want us around. Or we look at our jobs and we say, I want to be successful in my career. I want to be accomplished. I want to get all these things done. Uh, in the gym, you set goals for how much you want to lift. And in life, we set goals. And what I know is that if you are going to hit a goal, like a real true goal in life, then you have to be intentional about reaching that goal. Like, success and uh, excellence and being at the top of your game does not happen by accident. It's something that happens through daily, through moment by moment, uh, paying attention 
to who you are and what you're doing. For example, if you want to be an amazing parent, you can't just get away with buying your kids nice presents. That might help a little bit, but you also have to go out and play catch every once in a while. And you got to sit and listen to your kids tell you things that you don't care about, but you have to fake interest in it so that they think that you're actually interested in them. I, I say that slightly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, there's also a lot of truth to that because how much My Little Pony explanations, how many of those can you take before you're like, I'm done? But you can't say, I'm done. You say, oh, really? Uh-huh. And you find out how to like split your brain into two and not pay attention but also pay attention. You know how it goes. It's a long series of intentional choices if you want your kids to like you that you have to do because showing up to the ballet, showing up to the t-ball, showing up to all of these things build towards something that you know is even better than just seeing your kid have a little bit of fun on the field, but it actually results in you having a really healthy relationship with your kid. And it's the same thing at work. You want to be awesome at work, you got to go above and beyond. You show up early, you stay late, you do all of those kinds of things. You want to, you want to be great in the gym, that means you got to put more weight on the bar, you got to push yourself a little bit harder. All of these things, I know that success comes through the intent, consistent, intentional choices that we make. And as a pastor, I hear people say stuff all the time like, oh yeah, I'd like to grow my faith. And, and people that show up, especially on January 1st in church, want to grow in their, like there's a reason why we're here. We're here to gather together to worship our Lord and, and, and to pray and to grow in some way. But the hard thing is, especially in church world, is we often think that if we show up to church enough times, we'll grow. As if an hour in this room or online on Sunday mornings is enough to disciple us. Meanwhile, you go home and you spend six hours on some screens every single day. Which one do you think is going to win? That one hour in church on Sunday morning, it's nice, I like it. Or the time that you're devoting to something else. And I get it, you, you might follow the Instagram feeds, well, there's Bible verses and my Instagram, and I listen to Christian podcasts and all this other stuff, and that's great, and that might be helpful. I know I do that stuff too. That may be helpful. But we also know that that's not always a, an intentional plan. A lot of times that stuff tends to happen by accident. And so these questions that I get of like, well, yeah, how do I grow in my faith? Going to church? Yeah, sure, you should go to church. I'm a pastor. I think you should go to church 52 weeks out of the year. However, this is not enough. There are practices that Christians have had, not just for the last like few decades, but for millennia. That if you follow in these footsteps, if you develop these rhythms and routines, if this becomes a part of your life, the way you breathe, the way you think, the way you see others, then you will find yourself being transformed. And here's what I know too. When your heart and mind is transformed in Christ, then that makes its way out into your job. And that, that makes you probably more successful. And I'm not saying it means you get more sales. I mean, you might lose your job. But it, I'm, I'm saying that when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, things will become more clear. And you'll have a mission. You'll have a vision. You will have a life to lead in a way that you did not have before if we can figure this stuff out. 
So that's what we're going to talk about, not just today, but over the next few weeks here, is how we develop some of these things. And we're going to, we're, we're going to talk about it in, this, in the form of this rule of life that, that uh, will help guide us. And we'll get into more details of that on the coming weeks. But there's an interesting thing. The, the stuff that we'll talk about is millennia old. It's from the Old Testament tradition, Jewish tradition, Christian tradition as well. This is ancient stuff, but a lot of it actually interfaces really well with some contemporary stuff. So there's a book that was written called Atomic habits by a guy named James Clear. Atomic habits. And, and what he does, he takes this idea of nudges, and it's a psychological way of kind of approaching, and you know, they say you eat an elephant by, anybody know? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. A little bit, bit by bit. And so like when you look at like how do I become a, a full disciple of Christ, you, you find the people that are, you know, 70, 80 years old that have had decade after decade of slow and steady intentional work in their heart, soul, uh, with everything that they have, they give to it. And you say, well, I just want to be like that, which is kind of like saying, well, I just want to read the Bible. And they say it takes about 72 hours, I don't know if you know this, 72 hours to read the Bible from beginning to end. So you say, well, I'm just going to read the Bible. And so you sit down and for 72 hours, you knock out the Bible. Now, theoretically, you can do that. How productive would that be? Probably not very, but you can. But if that's your approach to, like, getting in the Word, that doesn't seem like a healthy approach. You kind of jumped in a little too deep. How about, how about just reading eight hours a day for however many days? Well, that's kind of, that's a pretty big dedication too. Two hours a day? That's a lot. 20 minutes a day. Well, it sounds more doable, but if you're a busy person like a lot of us, then five minutes a day sounds like that is even something that's a challenge to you. So, start with five and work your way up. And so, James Clear talks about that, uh, that kind of approach to things in Atomic Habits, starting with something small that helps you build up and putting these things together gets you where you're trying to go. There's another book that I really like uh, uh, called The Science of When by a guy named Daniel Pink fascinating book, talks about uh, human physiology and the way that the human body actually works. Just, he's, it's not a Christian book per se, but it's, it's a book about how God made you. So I think it's pretty awesome uh, in understanding why you might feel the way you feel at certain times of the day or the best time to consume one of these cups of coffee, which is all the time, uh, just so you know. <laughs> but the, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the new research, some of the books, some of the popular stuff that's out there, we're going to try to tie it into what we know to be true from millennia of tradition, both in the Christian and Jewish faith. So today, we're, we're kind of doing that preliminary, setting the table for this by talking about something that is huge. It's simple. It's you getting real with yourself. You getting real with yourself, which isn't very fun, is it, Rick? It's like, you know, can we talk about something more abstract than me having to be honest with myself here? Uh, but we're going to do this from an angle of a guy named Saul, who is a king of Israel about a thousand years, give or take, before, maybe longer, before Jesus uh, was born. So we're talking really Old Testament here. First Samuel chapter 15 is where we're going to be. And to set the stage a little bit, where, where we're picking up in the narrative as we get into this is there's two characters that you need to know about. They both start with S, Samuel and Saul. Samuel's the prophet, Saul is the king. Now, Samuel as a prophet, if you were around last year when we went through the book of Jeremiah, we know that the prophets often exist to be uh, kind of stand-in for God. 
So they do crazy things. Why? Because that's what God is not just asking them to do. That's who God is. So when a a prophet weeps, when a prophet is angry, when a prophet is frustrated, whatever it is, that is an indication. That tells you how God is feeling in that story. So it's kind of like the prophet gets to incarnate the, the presence of God. So when we hear and see what Samuel's up to, and we know too because it says God told Samuel to do this, uh, we know that he is very much standing in as the God figure in, in a story here. Uh, then you have Saul. Saul's the king. He's the first king of Israel. God said, hey, I don't want you to have a king. Yet Israel wanted a king. And so what did they do? They went out and got the tall guy with the square jaw and the broad shoulders. And they said, that man looks like a king. Make him a king. God said, okay, that will be done. There's your king, Saul. We quickly find that Saul doesn't have the character to fit the role that he gets put into. So where we pick up in in 1 Samuel 15 is where God tells uh, Saul to go take out the Amalekites. And and as we get into this a little uh, bit you need to know about as he's saying that, the Amalekites have this other religion, other faiths, all this other stuff. He says, there's nothing good about it. It is beyond redemption. It is terrible. You just need to get rid of all these people. Uh, Don't take anything for yourself, okay? And so Saul says, deal, got it. I'll do what you say, God. So, verse 7 of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites, and guess what happened? He attacked them all the way to Havilah and Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, so he completely steamrolls them. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So God says, hey, destroy it all. It's all terrible. Don't do anything. And they're like, yeah, deal, except for all of that and him. Right? Is that what you said, God? So you can see, there's some pretty big cracks opening up right off the bat here. Now, there's an issue that uh, you might hear some of this stuff and think, hold on, there's an incongruency between the Jesus that we talk about a lot and what I just heard of destroying the Amalekites. And I'm not going to get into the, the whole uh, nuances of it, but when you read something like this, it's, it's easy to think, okay, so I, uh, God, who never changes, uh, told his people to go destroy all of the enemies, which means God is okay if I go and destroy all of my enemies, so I think God might be telling me to go destroy all of my enemies. And if that's you, two things. First, Calm down, Rambo. Second, the clearest picture of God that we have, the clearest revelation of who God is, is in the person of Jesus. That's the clearest. What we know as humans is that we have a lot of muddy ways of understanding who God is. If you don't believe it, just look at all the different religions. And if you still don't believe it, just look at all the different denominations of Christianity, all of which are totally right, especially us. (laughs) So, so when you look around, you're like, hold on, uh, yeah, maybe God's a little more difficult to understand than, you know, than something that's super simple and easy to get here. And so when you get into this, what we understand, the most clear picture of who God is, is in Jesus. And so if we're going to understand God, then we, actually, we don't start in the Old Testament, we don't start at the book of Revelation, we start with the Gospels. We say, who is Jesus? 
We just talked about him last week. His birth, born into lowliness as a servant, grows up as a nobody, but quickly becomes a somebody, shows us who our Father in heaven is, tells us explicitly, your Father in heaven loves you, cares for you, is with you every step of the way. And so what we do is we look to Jesus and say, that makes sense. Okay, that's who God is. And now when we get to something like this and we say, okay, there's something else going on here, isn't it? The Old Testament does reveal the God who is there, there's no doubt, but it often what it does is reveal more about the people who are writing about God than it does about God himself. Sometimes this tells us a lot more about the God that they want than the God that they have. So it's a lot more complicated than you might think, uh, but in the same way like God didn't want Israel to have a king, but then Israel had a king. Why? Because God doesn't always get what he wants. At least that much is obvious from the Bible. So if God's willing to not get what he wants, and I'm going to guess that God's willing to let us not think of him in the perfect way either. Because he, well, quite honestly, there's a lot of people that I think don't have a good understanding of who God is. But if we start with Jesus, at least we'll understand that much, that much and then build upon there. So Saul does exactly what he is commanded not to do. We can talk about more of that stuff later too. But he does exactly what he's commanded not to do. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. And again, remember, he is that stand-in for God here. So Samuel is angry. He cried out to the Lord all night. We know this is upsetting to God too, obviously. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Now, think of where Samuel is just a couple verses before. He's angry. He cries out to the Lord all night. Now look at what Saul is doing. Saul right there is making a monument to his own name, because he's an idiot. As we get into this, you're going to see more stupidity just rise right to the surface from this character. He just does not get it. It's like every time God says do something, he's like, perfect, great idea, and then goes and does that. Anybody got a kid like that? A couple of kids like that? Every kid is like that. Samuel, is, uh, Samuel sees this, and he hears him just lay on this religious, thick, junk, hot garbage of, oh, hello, brother, blessed, blessed be the Lord's name. The Lord bless you. And he tries to dress it up, nice religious language, as if everything's fine. Let's just smile through this, Samuel. I know what you said, but come on, this is still okay, isn't it? But Samuel said, verse 14, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? The Lord bless me. The Lord bless me. You want to use religious language. I hear the animals walking around that you didn't kill. You did not do the one thing God told you to do. 
And now you're trying to dress it up? You're trying to pass it off as if everything's okay? Do you think that I'm dumb? Do you think God is dumb? Do you think God can be mocked in this kind of a way? Unbelievably, Saul answers this in verse 15. The soldiers, the soldiers, no, 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 Samuel, the soldiers, they brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice. It's for a sacrifice. It's a good thing to sacrifice to the Lord. But we totally destroyed the rest. Like we, we did, you know, you, hey kids, clean up the kitchen before I go or be, before I get back from the store or whatever. And the kids are like, great idea, dad. And, and so they looked at the kitchen and you say, did you clean the kitchen? Well, I looked at it. That's pretty good. That does not count. Soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. First things first, who's in charge here? <laughs> who's the king? Saul's the king. The people do, the soldiers do what Saul says, because he's the king. So if the people don't do what God asks, it's because the king did not ask them to do what God asked him to do. He's the one in charge. The buck stops with him. If they are not doing the right thing, it is absolutely and unequivocally his fault. They're carrying out Saul's orders. Samuel's had it, verse 16. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not uh, become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Do you get the joke in that? I completely destroyed them and brought back their king. If you brought back the king, you didn't completely destroy them, you dude. I did it. It's like arguing with a three-year-old, this guy. And it's in the Bible, like, like, if we meet Saul someday, man, I, I feel bad. He's got a lot of, like, explaining to do. He refuses to take ownership of his own mistakes. He refuses to take ownership. In his book, Extreme Ownership, former uh, Navy SEAL Jocko Willink uh, talks about the necessity for the leader to take personal responsibility for every single thing that happens under his or her watch. Here's what he says. He, he says, implementing extreme ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility, admitting mistakes, taking ownership, and developing a plan to overcome challenges are integral to any successful team. Now, this is something that's written in the last like five or 10 years. We see the truth of it from thousands of years. Like, this isn't rocket science to us, is it? But it's not just good advice. This is not just what successful people do. This is what followers of the way of the Lord do. We take ownership first and foremost for ourselves and then for all those under our care. It is our responsibility. 
If you cannot admit your own weakness, if you cannot get past your own mistakes and admit your own mistakes, then you are going to have a real difficult time implementing any of this stuff that we are trying to learn here from Saul. But Samuel replied, verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? So Saul says, whoa, no, 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 no. We brought, we brought the stuff so that we could sacrifice it to the Lord. Well, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Samuel reminds Saul of who God is. The God that wants Saul's honest obedience. The God that cares way less about the religious, you know, displays, the language, the stuff. He wants his heart. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. And so I gave it to them. It takes all of this for Saul to finally come to terms with his blatant disobedience. He has to not just get caught in the act. He has to be argued with after being caught in the act. After, And what that shows is that he, has, he lacks that character that his role requires. If you're going to be the king, you have to have the character to match that. And he was out of step with it. So there's three things that we're going to uh, talk about as we kind of go into, we're going to wrap this up and then go into the new year, especially over the next few weeks. If you understand these things, I promise you this, I promise you this, because if this whole series thing that we're doing here in January with Regula is successful, it's not going to be successful because, um, you know, you feel better about yourself. It's going to be successful because six months from now, you picked up something that we're talking about in one of these weeks, and you're still steadily working and growing at this. So the first thing is this. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. If you cannot be honest with anybody else, at least be honest with yourself. Start with yourself. Saul refused to be honest with himself. He had others around him, though, that were willing to hold him accountable. He had somebody like uh, Saul had Samuel uh, there with him. Now, how well did that work? Not very. Why? Because even though he had somebody there to tell him and call him out and to try to bring him back to remind him of what the Lord wanted, he still did not want it for himself. And you know this, you can't, you can't help somebody that does not want to be helped. You can want it all you want, but unless the other person wants to grow, unless the other person wants to change, unless the other person wants the same thing, you just, you, you, your hands are kind of tied. You have to start with yourself. Be honest with yourself. If you want to grow, it begins by taking an honest assessment of where you are. Again, if you have an audacious goal to lose a few pounds, I hope you stepped on the scale this morning. Start there because you don't know, you can't, yeah, you can't measure something that you're not measuring. If that sounds like it's really simple, then yeah, it is. Being honest with yourself, 
is the same way. Second, allow God to dismantle your false self. Saul is always looking for validation from other people. He's always looking around. He's so insecure, in fact, that uh, he builds a monument to himself. Now, you might think that his ego has led him to build a monument to himself. That's actually, at least from what I take that last verse to mean, of that he was kind of afraid of his soldiers there. That's not why he built the monument. He built the monument because he wants his soldiers to think that he's amazing because he doesn't think he's amazing because he doesn't think he's special, because he doesn't think he's worth following. So at least maybe I can puff up my chest enough that other people will think of me while I struggle to think of myself. When you see somebody doing those kinds of things, that's just a great indicator of somebody who's struggling with self-esteem. And guess what? That's okay. God doesn't say, hey, I need the most cocky person to step up and lead my people. No, Again, when we look to Jesus, we see exactly who he wants to lead his people. The humble servant, lowly, born with little. On the surface, Saul looks like he is serving God. He's doing what God, he told me to go get the Amalekites. I went and got the Amalekites. I attacked them. But the reality is, is that in his heart, he was not there. This is what makes, I think, church world such a and really any religion thing, but I, as a pastor, as a leader, I see this a lot in church world because I have a lot of people that I read and uh, follow around other pastors. I have friends, and it's almost inevitable if you're a Christian for any period of time, you'll have somebody that you like, an author or a, a preacher, speaker, whatever, that you really like, but then something happens. The truth comes out. They have not been honest with finances. Or something happened in their marriage that, yeah, it went south. It went in an unhealthy direction. Affairs or abuse of power or kind of you can probably think of a hundred examples off the top of your head if you've been a Christian for a while. Is that you see Christians fail at this stuff all the time. And if you're a follower of any of these people, then it can be disorienting because you can think, hold on, <laughs> I heard them and like my life was changed by them in so many ways. How can it be true that that stuff was happening there? And it's because the person that you saw on the outside was not the same person as what was on, in their heart. They were not living out of their true self. They were living out of their false self. And there, there are some people that are really good about living out of their false self. But somebody living out of their true self is living with integrity. They're living an integrated life. That means that the person that you see at the grocery store is the same person you see singing on Sunday morning, using Kelly's example, is the same person that is uh, there with her husband and family in the house, or is the same person when nobody's around. That no matter where you find Kelly, you're going to find the same person. That is somebody that's living with integrity. They're whole. There's not a segment where they're living like this here, like that there. Uh, they put this face on when they walk into the room and all that kind of stuff. That's somebody who's living with integrity. Somebody who is disintegrated, though, is somebody who has to put on the face. Oh, I got to try. Oh, I got it. And I'm not saying, you know, of course, there's some element of like, oh, I got to put on my game face for work or one thing. or another. I do understand certain aspects of that. But at the end of the day, your character isn't negotiable if you, are, if you are living with integrity. A disintegrated person changes based off of who they're with, where they're at, what their emotions, what they feel like doing at that particular moment. 
And if there's one thing we know about somebody who is living a disintegrated life, it's that they disintegrate. And something that disintegrates does what? Falls apart. Saul, his life, if, again, if you know anything about how it goes, his life disintegrates. He just completely melts down, falls apart, however you want to say it. It's a pretty tragic story. Disintegration is not just something that we see in Saul. It's not just something we see in, uh, you know, threatening our own lives. It's something we see in society. In fact, you almost see it celebrated in some circles. Uh, politicians do it to get votes. Uh, not every politician. The uh, online influencers do it to get more likes. Business leaders uh, do it to drum up more sales and get more money and all sorts of stuff. And, and again, I understand. I understand that, hey, you want to do all these things, but there's a right way of doing it. And there's a wrong way of doing it. There's a way of integrity, integrity and a way of disintegration. People do this stuff all of the time. But for us at church, we are to be different. We're not to be like that. We are to be people who, regardless of where we're at, regardless of where we're going, we are the same. We're the Jesus followers. We honor God's way, even when it means that we don't get a certain benefit, even if it means it threatens us in any particular way. That's okay. We know that God has called us up to something higher and better, and that's what it looks like to live with integrity. But that's, we only get that when we allow God to dismantle our false selves, stop living with so many different faces there. So if you find yourself saying yes when you really mean no, then you're struggling with a false self. If you find yourself getting uh, depressed when people are upset with you or you feel like you just need other people to like you all the time, then you're struggling with a false self. If you act nice on the outside, most everybody thinks that you're a wonderful person, but you are a raging mess on the inside. You struggle with a false self. If you have to criticize others in order to make yourself feel good, if you want your kids to behave so well so that other people think that you're a good parent because you're putting all of your parental issues on your kids' behavior, your issues become your kids' issues, that doesn't sound like it's going to last well. If you have any of these, and you can think, you, we all have problems here, none of us are perfect, I know I'm not. Any of these things, if any of these things ring true to you, then here's all you got to do. Admit, yeah, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect, of course. And then ask your Father in heaven, who loves you and cares for you, to come alongside and to reveal your false self and to let your true self come through. So, uh, one of the best ways we do this, this is the last point, slow down for God. Slow down for God. Look at what uh, Samuel said to Saul. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Now, there's a big difference between doing great things for God and being someone great. Like, you know this in work. Like, there's a big difference between doing a lot of work you know, when you get back into the office or whatever, and accomplishing a lot of great things. You can do a whole lot of work without much actually happening, without accomplishing much. 
The smart people are the ones that know how to do the right work that leaves them healthy and integrated and still allows them to accomplish the things that they're trying to achieve in life. Saul was busy. He did a lot of things. You know what we don't find Saul doing? We don't find Saul praying. It's the Old Testament. We don't find Saul, uh, Saul writing psalms to the Lord like David did. Gets compared with David a lot, if you don't know that, later on. We don't find Saul doing the kind of things that you would expect somebody who loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We just don't find him doing any of these things. Rather, we find him running around, doing one thing to the next, especially as his story progresses and continues its downward spiral. He becomes more manic and he does more and more. And the only thing he accomplishes is to completely dissolve any potential legacy that he could have. So Saul's busy. He's really busy. One of the things we have to ask ourselves, are we busy? Are we doing a lot of things? Are we doing a lot of things for the Lord? ah, I'm so busy at church doing one thing or another. How much are we accomplishing? Might it be better for you to focus on a relationship with somebody in this room, somebody not in this room? Focus on that and focus on bringing the Lord into that conversation and that relationship this year. Saul makes decisions from his false self, not his true self. He's always putting forth, projecting something out there. But when you slow yourself down, you don't have to live like that. You give yourself the gift of perspective. So we uh, learn to be honest with ourselves, be honest with yourself, allow God to dismantle your false self, and we slow down, slow down for God. And the reason we do this is because of who Jesus is. What, what Jesus shows us is that we have a Father in heaven that cares for us so much. Not a Father that's so far distant, not a God who's just abstract and disembodied and you'll never encounter. No, no, no. We see Jesus saying, no, God is there. He is with you. He loves you. He is for you. And it's in that kind of presence When you have that kind of a support system, it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to work on your false self because you know that your father has already forgiven you. So you don't have to walk around with guilt. You don't have to walk around with shame. We as a church can do this together in freedom without having to worry. That's the whole point of us being together is that we get to grow into be this community of Jesus followers. That every step of the way, we pursue love and truth and health, integrity, well-being, that sense of shalom that we see from the very beginning of the Bible. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about how we can become these kinds of people. Rhythms and routines, things we can do, things you can do when you go home. Things you can do while you're in this room. Things you can do all throughout the week that will help you achieve some of the things that you probably want to achieve. You want to grow closer to God. You want to do all that. And and hear me on this. My goal isn't for us to heap things on top of you. To make you, to to throw more burdens in an already busy and, and difficult life. Rather, my hope is that you find freedom in the disciplines. That you find release because now you know ah yes this is how it's supposed to work 
Because when we get these things in the right order, we, come to be, we become the kind of people God created us to be in the first place.